You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 618 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you live on this fine Monday evening into Tuesday morning. And uh, the plan, I will say, for this podcast was to do a bunch of mailbag questions. And uh, spoiler alert, there was a lot of news, uh, at least by August standards, a lot of news hit on Monday. And as a result of that, I'm going to hold the mailbag portion of this podcast for a little bit later in the week, either tomorrow or the following day. Um, just try to spread things out a little bit in the uh, doldrums of summer. But plenty to talk about today on the podcast, and uh, I guess the headline story by the end of the day was the contract extension for GM Travis Schlenk. It also comes along with a new change in title, at least an addition to title, where Schlenk is now the president of basketball operations. In addition to being the GM, you may remember that Mike Budenholzer used to hold the president of basketball operations title, and then it was Wes Wilcox was the GM back in the, back uh, during that time. Since Bud was uh, sort of demoted back to being head coach, and then of course left the organization, Schlenk has been the top of the food chain in terms of the actual you know basketball operations department, but now a new title for him uh, to go along with that, a multi-year contract extension. And I'm going to read the quote to you from Tony Ressler that was uh, in, in the release. Quote, we are extremely pleased with, with the direction that Travis and our entire basketball operations team has us heading as a franchise. He has used the draft to build an impressive young core, hired one of the most uh, NBA's top young coaches in Lloyd Pierce, and positioned us to have the cap space, draft picks, and financial flexibility needed to have long-term success in the NBA. End quote. Um, that kind of runs the gamut when it comes to Travis Schlenk. Um, you know, candidly, it's always a little bit fuzzy to talk about, um, you know, front office and coaching contract decisions because we don't really always have the best information. The Hawks have not been forthcoming in the past when it comes to sort of duration of contracts, etc. So I'm not exactly sure right at this, at this moment when Schlenk's deal was supposed to be up. But, um, you know, with that said, no surprise at all that the Hawks want to lock him down long-term given the way that things have gone so far in his uh, tenure, um, just because of the fact that, obviously, the organization's in a really, in a really nice place right now. Um, you know, on the court necessarily has not translated just yet. You know, only two years since uh, Schlenk was hired after the 2016-17 season. Uh, but he was sort of basically arriving with a mandate to rebuild the franchise and the, with that comes along with a bunch of losses in the last two years. But still, it's pretty uh, unanimous, I would say, around the league that Schlenk's done a very good job on the whole with this Hawks team. And I think the fan base, judging by the reaction today, was very happy with this news as well. Um, obviously, the uh, entire saga that he had to deal with, along with Budenholzer when he first arrived, kind of having to be uh, on top of the guy who, who was previously in your position was kind of tough. But uh, obviously, he seemingly nailed the Lloyd Pierce hire, which was his first uh, sort of Big big ticket item in terms of just the, uh, the pressure to hire that and make that make that move happen and uh, land it nicely. And Pierce has uh, drawn rave reviews to this point in time. You know, I'm gonna run on a quick list of uh, some things that he's done that I think are sort of unanimous wins so far in his tenure. Um, I think John Collins, the draft pick of John Collins, is a, as an absolute home run where they got him. Kevin Herter is a big time home run where they got him. Obviously, the hiring of Pierce, the hiring of Chelsea Lane as the uh, head of the training staff has been very very good. A pretty easy decision for me, but not matching the offer sheet for Tim Hardaway Jr. was a good idea. <laughs> um, I think uh, the Dennis Schroeder trade for Carmelo Anthony was uh, a masterstroke from Schlenk, and that was an awesome move. 
I think this year's Torian Prince trade to uh, get value for him ahead of time. Uh, the, the Jamal Crawford trade uh, a long time ago at this point, but to get a first rounder for taking that on, uh, signed Wayne Debin to a two-year contract worked, worked out very, very well for the team that that, that first summer that he was around. I think value-wise, the Dwight Howard trade was uh, not well received um, across the league, but at the same time, he got Howard off the roster immediately, and that was a, a very, very smart thing to do in the midst of a rebuild. You would not have wanted Dwight around this team the last two years, so that, that worked out very well. There are some moves that I would say are still like TBD. The jury's out. Um, I think the uh, the Hunter trade, obviously the two draft picks this year, we're not really sure how it's going to go yet with uh, Cam Reddish and Bruno Fernando. I think um, you know reasonable minds can disagree on the Trey Young trade, but for the most part, that's not it's not a negative to be sure at this point in time, given the way that he's been playing. So obviously, there's a bunch of neutral decisions that you know sort of that's, that's kind of the way this things has to work with GMs. You're going to have a lot of decisions that are just sort of net neutral, no huge plus minus, and I think there's a lot of those that I won't go that I won't, won't go into now. There were some ne- uh, some negative moves in my opinion throughout the first two years of the Travis Schlenk tenure. I think the Jeremy Lin trade was uh, not not a great one, not getting anything of value for the veterans at the 2018 deadline. Uh, obviously, a couple of uh, a, a little bit lower cost misses, but the uh, Tower Dorsey draft pick, Mari Spellman draft pick, um, the Evan Turner Kent Bazemore trade, also cutting Quinn Cook to keep Isaiah Taylor. So like. I guess the running theme that I'm talking about this point at this point in time is the fact that Schlenk has been very good on the high-profile moves. Again, the uh, the Hunter trade is up for debate still, and we'll see how that goes long term. But even even the, the I guess the biggest swing that he's taken aside from the Lloyd Pierce hire maybe was the uh, Trey Young trade. It's looking pretty decent at this point in time, given the way that Trey has been playing. So, um, so on the whole, I think the agenda is very very well positive for Travis Schlenk. Uh, just the total overhaul of the roster. And the total overhaul of the situation, even in the release, it was notable to me that they ref- that Tony Wrestler actually uh, mentioned the cast base and flexibility that they have looking forward. Um, you know, obviously the intriguing young core of five players uh, who are all sort of you know first three years in the league with John Collins, Trey Young, Kevin Herter, and then the two uh, lottery pick rookies this year in Hunter and Reddish. To go along with a bunch of cast base flexibility, no bad contracts beyond this year. Obviously, about a lot of dead money on this roster now, but they're obviously planning long term and uh, just setting that foundation. Of course, um, the, the next part is uh, you could certainly argue is the harder part going from a team that is uh, full of promise to a team that's, that's actually contending for championships at a high level in the playoffs is the big, big transition period that we have to see how, how Schlenk and company handle that. But to this point in time, um, obviously, a, a very easy passing grade for Travis Schlenk. It's easy to be confident in his. Him looking forward, he's done a very, very good job, and as a result of that, he was uh, rewarded with, with a new contract today. So, um, no surprise that, that that happened. Again, I'm not really sure how the full details, other than it's a multi-year extension that was first reported, by the way, by by Zach Klein of WSB TV, um, and later confirmed and then later announced by the Hawks on Monday afternoon. So, uh, congrats, to Tra- congrats to Travis, who's someone who I personally like in my dealings um, going around with the Hawks. He's been on this podcast before, going back to episode 500. I appreciate him doing that, of course. But um, you know, one of those things where uh, it's, it's not been, he's not batting a thousand, but he's uh, batting very, very highly to this point in his career as a uh, principal decision maker, and that the Hawks are in pretty good shape moving forward as a result of his moves. Um, before we get to the rest of the podcast, a couple more news items to hit on. I want take you um, take a second to remind you to about to subscribe to this podcast I really appreciate everybody that's already done that um, to, the, to this point in time please uh, go ahead and check us out on Apple Podcasts or Spotify um, tune in radio stitcher all those places that have podcast platforms Google Podcasts uh, you know all those places um, please find your own podcast platform that, that you enjoy subscribe and leave a positive feedback in terms of rating and reviewing the show and after the short break we'll come back with more news on the Atlanta Hawks
All right, and we're back. Uh, obviously, I, I think the Schlenk news took precedence, but that was actually the last thing of a three-pronged news cycle on Monday. Um, the second one that kind of got blown by because of the Schlenk thing that happened just moments after that, uh, Chris Vivamore of the AJC reported that Cam Reddish has not been cleared for on-court workouts yet. That is a little bit surprising, given the way that the Hawks have discussed him. Um, of course, um, Reddish's core muscle injury had been widely acknowledged by the team even before they drafted him. They knew about this. At the draft, they acknowledged that it it was going to be a six to eight week estimated timetable for Reddish to get back on the court in in full. That took him out of summer league and, of course, um, basically the whole summer to this point in time. But you know, as of right now, from the draft, that was about eight and a half weeks ago, about two full months ago. He's still not he's still not cleared yet, according to the AJC. So that is noteworthy. Nothing damning, I would say, at this point in time, because Vivalmore noted that the Hawks do expect Reddish to be ready for training camp. But it's not ideal, to be honest with you, just because of the fact that he has a large learning curve. For as talented as he is, and we'll talk about Reddish more in a few minutes here on the podcast for an obvious uh, reason with the rookie survey, um, you know, getting a late start to your rookie season is not exactly ideal in a number of ways. Uh, you might remember that Reddish had a, had a sort of a uh, notoriously shaky college performance in his one season at Duke. I think you know there were there were highs in in the midst of that, but on, on the whole, I would say it was a net negative season for him at Duke, considering where he came in as a prospect and where he left as a prospect. He's now a pretty polarizing guy in some circles, um, and in general, I would say it's not great for rookies to be uh, missing their full, whole first summer before before they arrive. Uh, there is some precedent for the Hawks recently. Kevin Herter basically missed his entire first summer as well after uh, having a thumb issue, missed missed summer league, got a really late start. Um, as a result of that. He did not play very well in preseason. In fact, Lloyd Pierce and Herter and others kind of acknowledged that he uh, was kind of behind the eight ball. That's kind of just the reality of the situation when you're when you're a rookie coming in to a new system, learning a lot of things, not being able to play basketball uh, at least at full strength is not going to be great for his development. With that said. Herter obviously turned the quarter pretty quickly. It, did, it took him a little while to get going, but once he arrived, it wasn't like he had a, a full lost season. He was uh, quite quite a big uh, part of the team once the uh, once things sort of kicked into high gear. Um, you know, even I would say before the halfway point of the season, but definitely the second half of the season. Herter was a prominent member of this Hawks team. So um, you know, and it's worth noting, Reddish does have the I, I would say obviously the pretty clear higher pedigree when it comes to um, previous. Stuff to college, you know, Reddish was a top five prospect in his class. In high school, Herder was more of an off-the-radar guy, etc. So it's not an apples-to-apples comparison in that way, but just obviously he's the the one recent example of a Hawks rookie coming in with some expectations that was uh, not able to perform in the summer before he arrived. So we'll keep an eye on that. At this point, I'm not worried about it, but I wanted to at least reference this because he was supposed to be on the court by now, according to the Hawks timetable that they put out there. So um, the AJC report is worth keeping in mind as he's probably going to be getting a later start. They still have about another month, or uh, I guess maybe close to six weeks now between now and training camp, media day, all that stuff in late September. But still getting a little bit close, and hopefully he'll be at full go by the time they actually convene for official workouts in about four, five, six weeks, somewhere in there. Last thing on the podcast today also has to do with Cam Reddish in a big way, and that's the rookie survey. A little bit of an annual uh, backdrop here. John Schumann of NBA.com uh, always polls the rookie class when they uh, go up to New York and kind of convene for photo shoots and uh, the, the rookie symposium, basically, when, when they go through classes, etc. And that's kind of a command performance for the, for the guys around the league. This year, Schumann um, interviewed 42 rookies, asked them a bunch of questions. And then tabulated their responses. This uh, is always an interesting exercise that provides some content for uh, media people like myself in the uh, last several years. Um, I'll go through the, the categories here that actually involved members of the Hawks. There was a rookie of the year ballot, so to speak, that ended up with Zion Williamson, number one. No surprise there. John Morant, number two. Uh, no surprise there either. 
But Cam Reddish actually tied with R.J. Barrett at 5% of the, of the, of the voting each. For reference, 5% is only about two votes out of 42. So keep that in mind. It's a very, very small sample size. But Reddish got some uh, got some love there and a little bit more love in a second that we'll get to. The only other thing that I, that I want to reference is the best defensive player um, poll that was taken. Hunter, actually, uh, DeAndre Hunter finished second to Matisse Teibel. I think Tybel's upside probably gar- probably uh, garners a little bit of, a con- of consideration there, but Hunter is probably safer in my opinion. Obviously, a better overall prospect given that he went in the top five. I thought it was an appropriate pick of him in the top five, so he was second in the- on that list. And also, Bruno Fernando, fellow Hawks rookie, got at least one vote in that category. He was in the others receiving votes when it came to best defensive player. Uh, no Hawks mention of the three of them in best playmaker, best shooter, most athletic, or um, and also uh, I guess Cameron Rush got, got a little bit of a, of a vote for the biggest steal of the draft category. Reddish got at least in the others others receiving votes. I was a little bit surprised that Fernando did not, because I thought people around the league were pretty high on that draft pick and that value where the Hawks got him there. But the most discussed thing on this entire survey, uh, I would say even nationally, was the fact that Cam Reddish finished number one, yes, number one in the, quote, best career, end quote, uh, question that was posed. Normally, um, you would think that someone like Zion Williamson, who was a consensus number one, basically, in this class, would have been number one in this poll. But Reddish got 19% of the vote. That was uh, easily the number one, uh, followed by John Morant. In fact, Hawks, uh, the Hawks were, one in, were number one and number three because Hunter landed at number, number three overall with 11% of the vote. And then Zion Williamson was in a tie for fourth place in the best career uh the best career voting. With, with that said, again, this is a very small sample size. It's rookies, and some of the voting in past years has been a little bit wonky. I would say, um, just for comparison's sake, last year's results, um, obviously by the middle of the season and by really in the early season, it was kind of a two-man race for Rookie of the Year between Luka Doncic and Trey Young. Neither one of those guys was in the top five. Actually, no, neither one of those guys was in the top seven of last year's uh, best career results in the rookie survey. Um, in fact, Wendell Carter, who I like, but still was number one, followed by Kevin Knox and Jerome Robinson. Kevin Knox was probably the worst player in the NBA last season. Jerome Robinson was a complete non-factor and uh, a horrible reach, in my opinion, as a lottery pick. And then uh, after that, it was DeAndre Ayton, Mo Bamba, who was pretty bad last year, um, Mikhail Bridges, Colin Sexton, and Lonnie Walker in the top seven. So, before... I want. I, I did. I did. I did tweet that out just to say um, before everybody gets too carried away about Cam Reddish. Last year, the the results were pretty comical, and the fact that uh, I think if you had that to to do back now, it would almost certainly be one and two in some order between Doncic and Young, and those guys were not even in the top seven, which is kind of just a reminder that there's some voting weirdness um, on this poll always. Still, I'm not really sure how Zion goes from the favorite for Rookie of the Year to a tie for fourth. That's kind of strange, and it's also a little bit weird. I think I tweeted this out as well earlier in the day, but Reddish got 19% of the vote, number one in terms of best career, but only a vote or two using the others receiving votes for draft steal, which doesn't really make a lot of sense because if he's number, the number 10 pick in the draft and you think that he's going to have the best career, he probably becomes the best steal. Just want to put that out there as well. And uh, shouts to JT Moon for pointing that out to me originally. Um, I'm not going to tell you this is going to slow down anybody's opinion on Cam Reddish because I think Hawks fans are famously, I've talked about this a lot on the podcast, Hawks fans were definitely all in on Reddish from early in the process, along with Fernando, but especially with Reddish. 
folks were already in love with him. If they already if they already were, are going to take this as gospel and back up that opinion. If they didn't like him, um, they're going to sort of laugh at, at at this. And there was a lot of pointing and laughing um, in terms of just the final results. Because even if you like Cam Reddish, and I think I do, by the way, I was higher on him than the consensus was for sure nationally. I had him in, in my top eight, and he went tenth. And even on my Hawks board, he was a little bit higher than that. Even so, I like the pick quite a bit. I like the value of it quite a bit. With that said, um, taking uh, taking stock of the uh, rookie class and declaring that Reddish is a is a better prospect or a better long-term career path than Zion Williamson is a little bit silly. Um, let's just say that. With that said, it's not a bad thing in any way, shape, or form that Reddish is seen in high esteem by his peers. That's something that a lot of Hawks fans said that I actually agree with. It's, it's definitely a good thing. There's not there's no real downside to um, his peers liking him and thinking that he has a lot of talent and a lot of pedigree. He was obviously a top five pick in that class. He uh, played alongside a lot of these guys coming up at AAU, um, EYBL kind of stuff, etc., this should not change your evaluation of Trey Young in any major way because of the fact that you know, there's, there's always some voting weirdness with this. And it's again, it's a small sample made for fun and for content. Um, no real huge takeaway in terms of scouting, but I do think that it's a good place for him to land in Atlanta. If I'm uh, talking about Cam Reddish as a player and as a prospect, um, you know, Hunter, same thing. I'm not really surprised that Hunter didn't get too much love here. He, obviously, he got some love in that one category, but uh, he wasn't like an overwhelming um, takeaway in this, um, in this survey. I'm not surprised by that because he's sort of a, a prospect that's not going to be terribly sexy in a lot of corners. Reddish is the uh, high pedigree, um, much more famous guy nationally just because of the way that he came up in the high school ranks, etc. So all that to say, um, kind of a fun exercise, and it's definitely good that the Hawks have some guys who are well-regarded with, with their peers, no question about that, and we'll see how they translate. But I thought it was at least worth pointing out, and uh, it drew a lot of national reaction in addition to the local reaction because of the fact that um, Reddish got the number one spot in the best career thing, with Zion um, being as famous as anyone has been, basically since LeBron, maybe maybe since Kevin Durant, that, that class. But Zion is uh, overwhelmingly famous, and uh, it was the clear, the clear number one prospect to have him not be number one, and actually be number four is... Uh, pretty jarring but that's why I thought that's why I want to throw in the reminder of last year's top seven because again it looks very silly in retrospect to uh, not have Luca and Trey in that top seven from last year so let's just hold on a little bit on the takes and I wanted to point that out a little bit on the podcast so with that said, I was planning on going to the mailbag at some point, but we've gone long enough today. I have several questions that I'm interested in, and I have some notes, and uh, that, that'll be recorded in the next day or two that I will share with you guys. Also, have a hopefully have a fun guest planned for later on this week, so please stay tuned for that. Please subscribe to the podcast. Um, I really, really appreciate it. I know I've gone longer when I have guests, um, obviously. But uh, last at the end of last week, I had a really fun conversation, conversation with Tower Jones, who I always enjoy discussing uh, basketball with, especially with the Hawks. That one that, that one went, went very long, so if you, if you haven't listened to that one just yet, carve out some time. I really enjoy it. I think it's worth the long listen, about an hour and 20 minutes or so of Tyler and I going uh, sort of a lot of twists and turns, but some, uh, some high-level conversation that I really enjoyed, so please check that out. Please tell a friend about the podcast, and if nothing else, I will see you in a couple days with some mailbag stuff and hopefully a guest later on in the week.